Good morning. It's Friday, February 9th. I'm Beth Golay, and this is Wichita's Early Edition from KMUW News. Sixty years ago today, the Beatles appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! That appearance on February 9th, 1964, forever changed music. We'll learn more, including a Kansas connection, right after the news. State Attorney General Chris Kobach criticized several Kansas school districts Thursday for their policies on transgender students. Here's KMUW's Suzanne Perez with more. Kobach says some districts allow employees to hide from parents the fact that a student is using a different name or pronoun at school. Kobach says he notified six districts that their policies violate parents' rights, and he attacked the practice as woke gender ideology. He says officials in Mays and Belle Plaine amended their policies. Four other districts, Kansas City, Olathe, Shawnee Mission, and Topeka, responded to the attorney general's inquiry but have not changed their guidelines. Shawnee Mission Superintendent Michelle Hubbard said in a letter to Kobach that schools develop plans through discussions with students and their parents. For KMUW News, I'm Suzanne Perez. Kansas labor unions and business groups are endorsing a bill to reform workers' compensation in the state. Daniel Cottle of the Kansas News Service reports. Business and labor groups met through the summer to work on a deal to improve the system for both workers and employers. The bill would increase caps on compensation for injured workers, tie those caps to inflation starting in 2027, and add some cost-saving measures for employers. The Senate Commerce Committee recommended the legislation be passed. It now awaits action in the Senate. Lobbying groups like the Kansas Chamber and the Kansas AFL-CIO support the bill. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Daniel Caudill at the State House. A bill in Kansas would stop the state from using foster children's federal benefits to reimburse the Department for Children and Families for the child's care. As Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service reports, the state would instead put the money in a savings account for the child. Supporters of the bill say Kansas has taken federal benefits from foster children without their knowledge, even though it rightfully belongs to them. But lawmakers questioned if it is fair to stop the state from collecting the federal funding on behalf of a child in its care. The funds are meant to be used for a child's food, shelter, and clothing. Republican Representative Paul Wagner says that is what the state provides. Is it that much of a stretch that it is going to their daily needs? It's just going as it would be to the state of Kansas? State researchers estimate the bill would cost the state about $8.5 million of federal funding each year. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Dylan Lyson in Overland Park. Kansas lawmakers will see their pay nearly double next year. Most legislators will receive $58,000 in 2025, up more than 90% from what they can earn now. Legislative leaders such as the House Speaker and the Senate President will make $85,000, nearly double their current pay. A legislative committee proposed the new pay scale last year. The House or Senate had until this week to reject the proposal, but neither took action. Supporters of the pay raise say it could increase diversity in the legislature because more people could afford to run for office. More than 1.7 million passengers used Eisenhower National Airport in 2023, its second busiest year ever. Only 2019 saw more traffic at the airport, which opened in 2015. 
The number of passengers increased about 12 percent from 2022. Airport officials say that's in part due to an increase in flights and the number of seats available. They hope the growing demand will help attract more air service to Wichita. The airport began nonstop service to Washington, D.C. last month. It also added direct flights to Phoenix and Miami last year. The killing of Emmett Till is explored in a University of Kansas exhibit opening today. Lawrence Brooks IV has more. The traveling show, Let the World See, details the life and murder of 14-year-old Emmett Till, lynched in 1955 by white vigilantes for allegedly whistling at a white woman. Sidney Purcell helped curate the exhibit and says it's useful for having deeper conversations around race and injustice. We have students from all walks of life that come through our building, but they might not go attend a Black Lives Matter protest. So it's a way that we can reach broader audiences, and use art as a way to teach these histories and these stories. A companion exhibit uses contemporary black art to connect Till's story to 17-year-old Trayvon Martin, killed by a Florida neighborhood watchman in 2012. I'm Lawrence Brooks IV. We'll be back after this. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. This is Wichita's Early Edition. I'm Beth Golay. Sixty years ago today, the Beatles appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show. That appearance on February 9, 1964, changed music forever. TV and radio journalist Bob Keeling is the author of Good Day Sunshine State, How the Beatles Rocked Florida. Keeling is a Kansas City native and graduate of the University of Kansas School of Journalism. He recently spoke with Tom Parkinson about the impact of the Fab Four 60 years ago, as well as the Beatles' odd connection to Kansas. Sunday evening, February 9th, 1964, at 7 o'clock Central Time, 73 million television viewers, a record-setting number, tuned in to CBS to hear Ed Sullivan introduce the Beatles to America. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr performed five songs that night. Their recording of I Want to Hold Your Hand had already hit number one on the Billboard chart in December, and it stayed there as the group released nine more songs that year, which also rocketed into the top 100. Author Bob Keeling has written extensively about the Beatles' first trip to the States. He says it was extraordinary for a group from England to have such an outsized impact. Any artist who had come over from England before the Beatles, like Cliff Richard, had basically sunk like a stone. So the fact that the Beatles had success coming here at the beginning of 64 was transformative. It was unprecedented. And I think it's a tribute to how good the music was and still is that we're still talking about them 60 years later. The fall of 1963 had been traumatic. Controversy over civil rights, the war in Vietnam, and the assassination of the country's charismatic young president, John F. Kennedy, 
just 11 weeks before the Beatles arrived in the States. Keeling says the country was in a state of collective mourning and anxiety about the nation's future, and he says the Beatles' arrival played a major role in changing America's mood. Really, in terms of what the Beatles brought to America was not only this wonderful, fresh music that still resonates today, it's also a sense of, you know, smiling again and getting over the collective malaise of JFK's assassination. The hysteria surrounding the pop group was already being called Beatlemania in the American press when the band arrived in New York's newly renamed Kennedy Airport on February 7th. They were greeted by 4,000 screaming fans and about 200 journalists. The hard-boiled New York press corps was ready to pounce on these brash young Brits, but the reporters were quickly charmed by the Beatles' contagious exuberance and cheeky wit. Please sing something. No! No, we need money first. <laughs> the Beatles went on to appear on The Sullivan Show three more times in 1964, but that first appearance is regarded as the Big Bang moment for the 1960s counterculture. Overnight, American boys started combing their hair forward and growing it out. Thousands bought electric guitars and formed their own music groups. Some of those bands became superstars, while most never left their parents' garage. But author Bob Keeling says the cultural shift the Beatles brought was impossible to ignore, even decades later. While researching his book about the Beatles' arrival in the States, Keeling interviewed a reporter from Miami who lucked into the assignment of a lifetime in 1964. Larry Kane who was 21 years old when his editor assigned him to accompany the British band on their first U.S. tour. He told Keeling he witnessed something amazing while flying across the country with the band. The Beatles were all huddled together in the aisle of the airplane, and Larry had the uh, very distinct and rare honor to see the Beatles writing a song together while they were in the air over the state of Kansas. And he said, I could hear them sort of clapping on this song, and I suggested maybe they speed it up a little bit, and they did. And the song was Eight Days a Week. That's right. According to reporter Larry Kane, Eight Days a Week was written in the sky above Kansas. And the Beatles' music changed popular culture in ways that are still unfolding 60 years after that historic Sunday night on The Ed Sullivan Show. For Kansas Public Radio, I'm Tom Parkinson. Thanks for joining us for Wichita's Early Edition. This week's podcasts were edited and produced by Luann Stevens, Suzanne Perez, and Tom Shine. Contributors this week include Lauren Amalunke, Jed Bodwin, Lawrence Brooks IV, Kylie Cameron, Daniel Cottle, Rose Conlon, Celia Hack, Stephen Caranda, Celia Yopis Jepson, Isabella Liu, Dylan Lyson, Suzanne Perez, Eric Schmid, Beck Shackleford Wanganga, Tom Shine, and Sam Zeff. Torin Anderson composed our theme music, and our digital editor is Carly Cooper. Enjoy the big game. We'll be a bit tired, but we'll be back on Monday. For KMUW News, I'm Beth Golay. Wichita's Early Edition is part of the NPR Podcast Network.